0: of uh, what we've called the High Priestly Prayer, I mentioned last week that John, the the Apostle John, doesn't specifically refer to uh, Jesus as the High Priest, we see that elsewhere in Scripture, but that the prayer itself follows the Priestly Prayer, the High Priest's Prayer on the Day of Atonement. And it starts uh, as the high priest would pray his prayer on, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, he would start with a prayer for himself and, and his ministry. And we saw that last time as Jesus prayed for himself in the first five verses. And then the high priest on that Day of Atonement would pray for those around him, the other priests, uh, those who were with him in the ministry, if you will. And, and that's what we're going to see today Jesus praying for his disciples who are sitting right there with him. And then next time we'll see uh, as the the high priest would pray for all of God's people, and and we'll see that next week in in the final few verses of this prayer. But we're going to be in in the middle of the prayer uh, this week. Uh, Verses uh, 6 through 19 as Jesus prays for his disciples sitting with him. And so let's continue on with Jesus' prayer. I'll read uh, beginning at verse 6. Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words that Jesus prays. We thank you that we can look at them and take comfort in them and be built stronger in your truth. And so, Lord, as we look at them, we do pray that you will speak to our hearts pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was part of a, a men's group. It was, um, like I said, several years ago, and, and it was a, a pretty small group, and by design. I think there were five of us, sometimes there was a sixth, and, and we were uh, committed to, we would come for a, a Bible lesson, that was uh, what we did, and, and we met weekly, but but we were also committed to praying for each other. And we never really questioned, you know, how often do you pray for uh, people during the week? But we were committed to make, making sure we pray for each one specifically at some point during the week or maybe a few times. And and uh, before we would start uh, our Bible lesson, we would pray together, of course, and, and there was always that question, that, do you need me to pray for anything in particular? And most of us at the time, no, nah, not really. You know, we're, we're pretty good. Every now and then there'd be something of either a health issue or a family issue that would come up. But but it was really neat. because There was one guy in particular who was very good. Even if he said, no, I'm, you know, nothing crazy is going on in my life right now. Every now and then he would pray for someone specifically, just for no reason. And he would do it out loud. And, and it, sometimes it would be me. And I would sit there and listen to this man pray for me. And it was really neat because it gave me insight into how he prayed for me during the week. And it was remarkably insightful. You could tell God at work in, in his prayer life. It was really a neat feeling, though. Just here's this guy praying for me. I didn't really ask for it. And I hear what he's saying. And I know that's what he has been praying for me. And I thought of that when I was looking at this passage, because here are the disciples, and they've seen Jesus pray. You know, sometimes Jesus would be up all night praying. But here they are sitting, and they get to audibly hear Jesus pray specifically for them. For these disciples as Jesus prays for them. Probably the only time they heard him pray in this way, they'd seen him pray, they'd actually asked him how to pray, and he had taught them some things, but here he's praying for them, and and it most likely stunned them as they listened to this prayer that Jesus Prays for them, and we can break this passage up into three sections, uh, if you will. The, the first part of it, uh, from verses six through the the beginning of verse eleven, is uh, if you want to put the grounds for Jesus' prayer, um, uh, why he's praying, or uh, as Sinclair Ferguson, I believe, put it, um, he almost describes the Christians, their, his disciples, sitting there. It's a description of them, and then. At the last part of verse 11 and through verse 16, he prays for their protection. And then in verses 17 through 19, he prays for their sanctification, that they continue strong in God's word. But we'll break it up with that. First of all, Jesus starts with this, this ground, if you will, of his prayer as he talks about the disciples to the Father, and He mentions, "I have manifested Your name uh, to the people whom You gave me. Uh, this this manifested. Uh, I have made known Your name. I have revealed Your name. Um, God's name, if you will, embodies His character. And so, what Jesus is saying here is, is I've made Your character known, God, um, in a whole." born into this world i have made you known and jesus told his disciples earlier in the evening back in chapter 14 verse 9 whoever has seen me has seen the father father i've i've manifested your name they know your character because they've seen me in verse 8 i have given them the words that you gave me and they have received these words now They may not have completely understood all of the words, especially now before the death, before the resurrection. They don't completely understand, but they have accepted them. If you look back at chapter 16, verse 30, the disciples say, now we know that you know all things and and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. He says that they've accepted this. They, They know your word. And he's going to come back to that idea of, of word a couple more times in this prayer, and, and we will come back to it too. But one thing that I really want you to see in this first part of this prayer, in uh, 6 through, this, uh, through 11, actually, is, is the number of times Jesus mentions, you gave me. In verse 6, the people whom you gave me, they were yours and you gave them to me. And verse 7, they know everything that you have given me. Uh, verse 8, the words that you gave me. Um, and then in, in verse 9, I, I am again, I, you have given me. They are yours, these, these disciples. In verse 11, you'll see it again. You have given me. Father, you gave me these, these people. And I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. You'll notice that. Eight, or in verse nine, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these people whom you have have given me. And Jesus is basically telling the Father why the disciples matter so much to him. These, these and as the disciples are listening to this, you imagine they're taking great comfort in what Jesus is praying. Because it's, it's in essence as though the Father has said to the Son, Look, Son, I love these disciples so much that, that I'm going to give them to you so that you can save them. That's what I want you to do. I'm giving them to you, and and you are going to save them. It's, it's, it's this great love that he has for these people. And... And Jesus is, you can see, honored by this. You you gave them to me. And and Jesus loves these disciples, and he's glorified in them. You see that in verse 10. I'm I'm glorified in them. And so you see this great word of, of comfort here, but also a little bit humbling. Uh, as uh, Sinclair Ferguson writes, their chief worth, that's the disciples, their chief worth is found not in themselves, but in the fact that the Father has loved them. The Father has these, this great love for these disciples. Realizing this as the night has gone on, Jesus has talked about it and and as he hears this prayer they understand the father chose us and he'll save us and they'll figure some of this out as they go along and you know sometimes when you pray uh, for other people and, and especially I think of of uh, if you pray for a, a spouse and sometimes you're you're praying for that person or it might be a child someone you you love very much and it's You start describing that person to God. Here's here's why I love this person. Here's what they've done. Here's why they're so special to me. And every now and then I'll catch myself and I'll think, yeah, okay, I'm not really telling God anything he doesn't know. He knows why I love this person, but it's it's just this idea that you're opening your heart to God. And, And in a way, giving him praise and thanking him. For this person that you love. And and that's the sense we get with Jesus here. Opening his heart to the Father. Telling him why these men are so special. The Father, of course, knows this. He gave them to Jesus. And and the disciples get to sit here and hear that prayer and and when he prays that, then he turns to their protection. At the end of verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. And then he talks a little bit later on about how he has guarded them. But this this phrase, Holy Father, which, by the way, is the only time that we find that in the book of John, Holy Father. And and it's not just arbitrary. Uh, there, there's... A reason for it and and it will come uh towards the end of the prayer in verses uh, 17 through 19 when he talks about our holiness or the the holiness of the disciples and, and their sanctification it's established in the fact that that there is a holy father and and uh for his followers to concentrate themselves that the the roots of all of that is is the holiness that's tied up in their relationship with the Holy Father. But he said, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And there's, there's a couple different ways that phrase, keep them in your name, could be taken. One of the ways uh, could be protect them by your name. I think the NIV, if I'm correct, uh, they translate it... Uh, Protect them by the power of your name, something along that line. And that's one of the ideas. Protect them in your name, because your name is strength and powerful. Uh, Another way you can interpret that is is, uh, to uh, interpret it, uh, keep them uh, in loyalty to you. Keep them in full adherence of your character. As you have revealed yourself, keep them. Uh, Loyal. And and I don't think we have to really decide which one Jesus is praying, because I think they're probably both in play. Context would tell us uh, maybe a little bit towards that second idea of keep them in loyalty to you. But he does mention um, that they are to be as one in verse 11 that they may be as one, even as we are one. And, and they cannot do that unless, unless they are in loyal allegiance to the Father's gracious self-disclosure, this allegiance to Jesus, allegiance to the Son, and this word that the Son has given them that we see in verse 14. I've given them your word. And he said, not one of them has been lost except the the son of destruction. Now, I wonder at this point in the prayer if the disciples aren't thinking, wait a minute, Judas is gone. I wonder if it's Judas. He had left earlier in the night and they all thought he went out to do something good. But this might be the first spark in their mind that, wait a minute, he's praying for us, and then he mentions this son of destruction. Could that be Judas? They're going to find out for a fact that it is very shortly. uh, Later on that night, uh, Judas is going to come with the guards to arrest Jesus. But even if they don't completely realize it uh, right now, Jesus had talked of a betrayer earlier back in, in chapter 13. And in that, he quoted from a psalm, Psalm 41, about the betrayer. And so he's given this assurance to the disciples that even though there's going to be the defection of one of them, that's not unforeseen. Jesus knows what's going on. There's no failure on Jesus' part. This was all part of the plan. And that will be comforting to them later on. Jesus is completely in charge. And Jesus says, I I have guarded them. In verse 12. I have guarded them. And if the disciples are anything like us, they probably had a tendency to get this twisted. They know that at times Jesus had guarded them. The Sea of Galilee is a great example of that there was a storm and Jesus calmed the storm and and there have been uh, some other uh, places uh, where they thought okay Jesus really got us out of that one but I think Peter is a good eye a uh, good example when sometimes in our mind we get the roles reversed and we forget that it's God who's guarding us all the time uh, Peter earlier in the evening in John 13. Uh, He was the one who confidently stated, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, no, actually, you're going to deny me three times. Despite your confidence, you'll deny me. And that was maybe an hour prior to what Jesus is praying right now. And perhaps another hour, uh, more or less, uh, Peter's going to speak up again. And when Jesus is arrested in John chapter 18, you'll see Uh, the guards are there and peter brings out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest and and jesus said no no wrong wrong thing wrong time you don't understand what's going on peter knew so little of his his frailty of his vulnerability But yet, like that little dog that likes to bark a lot, thinking he's going to save the world, that's what we often do. The frail one's thinking, well, we have to save God somehow. And we get ourselves in trouble when we do that. has to save us. It's as though uh, Jesus is praying to the Father and saying, Father, look, I, I had their back. I I was watching them all the time. They are so fragile and so close to danger, and they never realized it. And the world is going to hate them. And I'm leaving this world. And the world will hate them. So, Father, protect them. Keep them united. See that in verse 11. They're going to be sent into this world with my message. And that comes up in verse 18. They're going to be sent as a powerful testimony to the gospel. And the world is going to hate that. In verse 14, uh, he brings that out. As long as the disciples are, are aligned with the Father, aligned with Jesus, when they side on the side of god and his revelation and his word as long as they do that the disciples are going to infuriate the world and we see that in the book of acts we can see that around the world today the world loves its own but they're not of the world and jesus's death and, and resurrection will Spell the the uh, principal defeats of Satan, but it does not completely rob Satan of his ability to inflict damage on the disciples, and they will know that in time. But he prays, said, the disciples aren't going to be withdrawn from this world, and Lord, I don't, Father, I don't want them withdrawn from the world but nor are they to be confused with the world. Rather, they will remain in the world and they will uh, maintain this witness to the truth by the help of the Holy Spirit that he talked about in in John 15, protected by the Father in response to the prayer of Jesus. Jesus saying, you gave them to me and now you have to protect them because I'm leaving. And for the disciples, again, there is great comfort. This is Almighty God. This is the sovereign God. This is Jesus who's done all these great miracles and he's praying this prayer and Almighty God himself is going to protect them. They have God's word. They have God's truth as their strength and as their hope and as their message and as their sanctification. But there's the paradox this very thing that sanctifies them is the thing that puts them in danger in the first place it is the word of truth the word from the father if we make the connection here if you go back to verse 8 and and kind of just put this all together you notice in verse 8 I have given them the words that you gave me this word from the father Then verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And then you go back to verse 18, they are not of the world, or I'm sorry, just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This, This word of truth that Jesus gives us is what we go into the world with. The disciples go in with that. And that word of truth is what will sanctify them, what will keep them in holiness. Not becoming worldly, but being sanctified in that truth. It's a thing that will, in one way, put them in great danger, but in another way, protect them in ways unimaginable as God protects them in that truth. And the disciples, uh, in a sense, are being commissioned right here. I don't know if they picked up on that as as they're hearing this prayer, as they're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus just said something here, that the Father sent him and now he's sending us and we're being sent on behalf of the Father, basically, into the world with this message. It, It does get spelled out a little more clearly after Jesus uh, comes back, after he's resurrected, and and the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go make disciples, and then they can understand it a little better. But I wonder right now if they understand what's going on and the role they're going to play in this world as Jesus prays for them. And this, this great, this prayer for them and and throughout there are those echoes of the lessons that Jesus has been teaching. The echoes of the joy that Jesus gives in this world that's full of sorrow and uh, this world that will hate them. It's been talked about before. They hear the thoughts of Jesus and how much they mean to Jesus and how much they mean to the Father. They hear this prayer of of protection for them, this prayer of unity among them, that they're all aligned in in God's truth. They hear this prayer as they're basically being commissioned to carry out the Messiah's mission. Bear this truth. Take it to the world, no matter what. No matter what they say about you. And what's great about this prayer is that we read in, in Romans 8, and in Hebrews 7, and in Hebrews 9, that Jesus continues to pray for his disciples. And sometimes uh, when I read those verses talking about Jesus interceding on behalf of of his people, uh, I wonder, what is his prayer? What is he praying for his disciples, for us? And I don't think it's as mysterious as I sometimes make it out in my mind. I think we have been given a great example of how Jesus continues to pray. Why we're special. Continues to pray for protection. Continues to pray that we will be strong in the word. Now, we'll pick up more of the prayer as he prays and more specifically for us next week. But as we look at Jesus praying for his disciples, what we get is a great outline of how we can pray. Pray not only for ourselves, but for others that God has put in our lives. Following Jesus' example here, Father, here are the people you gave me, and I love them. And I love them because you put them in my life. I love them because they are made in your image. And I will pray for their protection. And I will pray that we can be unified in your truth. That however the world tries to break us apart, your truth will hold us together. That you will keep us, sanctify us in your truth. Lord. He gives this great prayer for the disciples he gives us a great way we can pray for each other. Gracious God, we do love you. We do thank you for those you have put in our lives, our brothers and sisters in you as we continue to lift each other up. We know we can't protect each other fully, but we try Help us to look out for each other, knowing that it is you who guards us, you who grows us in your truth, you who saves us. Lord, unify us in your truth. And we do pray that you will keep us firm in this message and firm in our mission of spreading your truth into this world pray this in the name of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello again to you all as we continue our journey through the preparatory document for the 2023 Synod. And this time we, we look at paragraphs 10 to 15. It's the section on a constitutively synodal church. And you might think,